Okay. Ready. Let's go. Ready. Let's, Let's do it. Do it. Let's talk about her. Okay, but if, can we first talk here. about yeah, or should we talk about us? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about us because I want to talk about how I feel like we have a really special relationship with this woman. Like I think that I think True. she's really special to us and I believe we're special to her, but I think it's because we just automatically have this like deep sense of love for each other. I don't know what it is. And it's interesting cuz we we met her at different times, yeah. independent of each other. Yes. And we both had the same experience of just almost like feeling in love with her. I, I think it's like, I think we do have a deeper than a girl crush. Definite, yeah, deep girl it goes, crush. It's like soul level crushing. Every girl's got a story Heartache and glory So don't you worry, you're worthy Every girl's got a story Every girl's got a story She is a designer. No, the designer only seems to scratch the surface. Okay, so artist. Yep. Creative director. For sure. HGTV television host. Uh-huh. A curator of unexpected treasures, and I'm going to add... A creator of enchanting, eccentric. Hey, what other e words can we add? Ethereal. Oh yeah, ethereal experiences. She is magical. We love her. A visionary. One of the most amazing things about her. What? This girl has never known self doubt. And, and on today's, today's podcast, podcast, we, we have. Tiffany Pratt. Okay, what you don't see, people, listeners, is that she is the brightest, shiniest, most beautiful, pink-haired woman sitting in front of us, and we are so honored to have you here. We love you. you. Thank you for coming to the the sanctuary. That's right. We, Julie, how should we put this in a way that doesn't seem like we're being really outwardly expecting something from her. We feel like we're special to you. And we need to know. That's how we're starting the podcast. That's right. You can take a pass if you want. (laughs) I'm going to take a pass. I think this is a loaded gun and I'm okay with it. You know what I like about it is that we all have an inherent desire to feel special, period. Mm. All of us. Everyone wants to feel special. Mm -hmm. I don't know one person, including me, that doesn't want to feel special. Right? My whole life, that's how I grew up, wanting to feel special. And so tell us about your want to feel special, because I don't think I've ever well, let's seen address, that with let's you. Let's address this. Okay. I believe, let's address the pink elephant in the room. The, <laughs> let's address the question first the pink before we pink elephant in the room. But I think that everybody that I meet that I love is special. I wouldn't love you. I wouldn't spend time with you. I wouldn't act the way I act around you. I wouldn't anything if I didn't find some value and specialness and magic and good times and whatever it is that we have. I don't like to label it as you're more special, this person's more special. I believe the highest vibration we could all exchange with each other is love. And what you're feeling from me outside of specialness is my love for you. Oh my gosh. Right? I feel it. I, like I just got it. chills. Yeah. Because I always think quantity, quality over quantity. That's like everything I say to myself all the time in everything. Quality over quantity because we don't need more of anything. We just need the quality of something. And, and, you know, before we started this conversation, we were all, we were talking about how we, 
how we met each other. And we were talking about Mother Mira. And Mother Mira doesn't talk. Mother Mira just merely sits and you're, you're sitting in presence. And in that presence becomes a healing. And if you get an opportunity to go stand at her feet and touch her feet and look in her eyes, you know, you don't exchange anything. You don't even get to really embrace her or hear the tone of her voice. And for people listening, she's kind of like a Mother Teresa figure almost. Yeah, or like an Oma. A healing. Saint right. Vibe. Vibe. And you just get it. I think there was a, it's like a trans- few- It's a transmission. And you're, you're receiving her healing by transmission. And I think that that's what we can say happens here, is that if we were to take ourselves out of the opportunity of being able to hug, being able to talk, being able to see each other, go to yoga classes together, do all these things. When I look into each of your eyes and we see each other, that feeling that we have, that's the connection. It's the unseen, it's the untalked about, it's the the wordless words. That's when you know you connect with someone because you can look into their eyes and you just know. Mm -hmm. And you could say, hey friend, Mm -hmm. hey soul sister, hey soul family. How are you? And you know I see you, but not see you in the paper bag that you're in right now, wearing the leopard cardigan and the overalls. I see you as the beating being, the heart, the, the, the shiny soul that you are. And that's kind of how I, I feel like I operate in the world. I don't necessarily care how what you do or how old you are or what you're what, I don't care what you dress like, if you're a man or a woman or anything else. I just see a little ball of energy mm. that each person is. And I think that that's what love is, is just to express yourself through the unseen and the un, the things that you don't necessarily need to say, if that makes mm. sense. What I is think this with- like spiritual sense, energetic, magicalness come from with you? Like, I feel like we've talked about this before, just about it, a lot of it is energy for you. Yep. And so wh- did that, have you always been that way? Yeah. Your whole life, little tiff. Yep. My really? mom was just here visiting and she, she now, you know, hanging out with me in my home with me can go backwards and say, oh, when you were three, you did this. And right down to like my eating habits. And she's putting her own pieces together about me now in what what sense in every sense like I was so quiet when I was little ridiculously quiet she thought I was going to be mute because I did not want to talk and it wasn't because I was shy or because I was you know didn't want to socialize with other kids I was in a deep observing mode as a child just taking it all in I remember it and I can feel the feelings I had even then which is like okay I'm on this planet now and I have to learn how this goes so I'm going to watch what's going on around me and I'm going to learn how I want to be and so it's that same way and, it, and I think that's why I love art so much because I remember hearing the quote when I was in high school which is is the artist the observer or is the observer the artist mm-hmm. and wow. that's when I started to realize okay I think I found my niche here. Because even when I was little, you know, my mom had creative experiences around the house, but I was so drawn to it. I needed to constantly be expressing myself in, in, by making things and creating things and colors. And so, yeah, for as long as, right now, I was four and I was telling her, I want to wear these particular type of white shorts. I always wanted to wear white clothes. And 
very particular little soul, but, but this is who I am. And she let me be me. And I just was always given the room to do the things that felt special and real and honest and true to me. That's pretty spectacular for, me, for, your, for your mom to be able to hold that space for you. Um, I don't think many people get that opportunity, especially young artists, you know, like young people that are from another planet like you, you know, like a little bit, but you know what I mean? That are of this place, but not of this place or in tune with that part of themselves at a very early age, I think is so unusual. I think we all have it. I do. I think we just have to stop with the the way that we're told all the time. I was talking to someone the other day and they asked me a question. I remember they, and I just answered with, can't we all have amnesia Hmm. and forget and just forget how we were told to be, what our memories were and just wash it and then approach everything with like, Ooh, what is this? Oh, it's a table. Like everything can be fresh and new. And then when you come at life from that perspective, we all, we're all from a different planet or a different energy or a different, however you see fit. Everyone has different feelings or different belief systems or different religions or spirituality. So I'm not going to start naming anything, but I think we, we all come here from something else. Mm. And that is a fact. And I am no different than anybody else. I'm just able to get back to factory settings quicker. Maybe it's interesting because I'm, in my master's of psychology that I'm taking right now, we actually talk, we're just right now discussing, you know, worldviews and how, where do our worldviews come from? And it's really about, you know, we're all born with a clean slate. Mm-hmm. And then where do our worldviews come from? They come from our parents. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, you know, I think it's the greatest gift that you were able to be given the freedom because as a parent, I know I'm constantly imparting my views, my values, yeah. my beliefs on my children. I look now, you know, I look back now and I see where if I had maybe stepped back a little bit or, you know, been less rigid in certain ways, then my kids might have had a little bit more freedom in certain areas. And I think that it's really hard in our society to do that, right? To, to provide that for our kids. But um, I think it is the greatest gift that your mother was able to do that for you. And so do you feel like you were able to kind of go off on your own in your own little world and do that? Or were you watching your mom like role model things and find inspirations from her? Like how did your relationship with your mom play out in your little girl Tiff story as you were growing up? My father passed when I was seven. So she was the only role model I had. And it was, it was a twofold story because she was a single parent. So she didn't give me the room by proxy of being uh, purposeful. Mm. She gave me the room by proxy of working multiple jobs and trying to keep food on the table. Mm. And additionally, my mother's a very flamboyant, extremely, uh, I, there's no word, eccentricities to the max, interesting, spiritual, mercurial, um, all of it. And it, across every gamut. So I had a very interesting role model. And there's so much that I was able to cherry pick from her that I loved and other things about my mother that I absolutely walked in the entirely opposite direction of. Mm. But I want to say is I'm not a parent and I can't imagine what being a parent is like. 
but I do, I have worked with children for many years and observing just human life. You can't, nobody's perfect. And, and Julie, hearing you say like, you know, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have done this. It, it's all divine. Mm. So the fact that you're able to do those things, however you phrase them, good or bad, still a part of how your children will walk in the world and use the information you gave them in whatever capacity you've done it, positive or negative, which I don't necessarily think exists. And they become the people they are because of it. You hear that, kids? Mm-hmm. Listen up, kids. So mm-hmm. it's, okay? it's, it's not, nobody messes with <laughs> No, but thank you for up. saying that yeah. because we also do that with our children, but with ourselves is put the label of good or bad on it, right? And so then we have our regrets or we, you know, at, and not just as parents, as people, there's always that label of good or bad, but I love you saying that it's all divine. Yeah, well, we're all effectively just doing the best we can in every single microscopic moment. Like my mother was doing the best she could Mm -hmm. with what she had in that really difficult time. And so I take my hat off to her and I will be, I will be by her side until her last waking breath because I know how much she did and how much she sacrificed. Is my mother perfect? God, no. Is my mother a very interesting character all day, but (laughs) but like I, I wouldn't have it any other way. And Mm -hmm. I have a very different relationship with my mother to my sisters. We all grew up the same way and they have a totally different outlook on her than I do. So that's the other thing about humanity is that, you know, we could all walk into the same room with the same people in it and have entirely separate experiences. And I, we're all a year and a half apart. We didn't have a different time block with my mother, but somehow we've all been spit out the other side of her with very differing opinions. What I love about that idea of walking into the room, because I know we've talked about this before, or I've heard you say this before, that you have no self-doubt. Like imposter syndrome doesn't exist for you. I think I, I probably spent my whole career in imposter syndrome, like feeling I was doing, you know, we're doing the work, you're doing it well, you're advancing from the outside. It all looks so great. And then you come home every day and you're thinking someone's going to figure it out. Like I, this I'm in over my head or whatever it is. And I'm even listening to you talk about your upbringing, which is hardly ideal. It was lost your dad. It was the opposite of ideal. As a baby, practically as a, as a young, young girl, you, I'm sparing you so many details. But let's just say it was the opposite of ideal. And the reason I say this is because people have very interesting um, perceptions when they think that they see somebody who chooses happiness or wellness or peace or uh, love and that they had that. So that's, there's, it's so easy to come by. And I think it's, it's not, I didn't come, my mother's a very loving, amazing person but there was also a lot of adversity and I choose this path. I choose the path that I'm on. My sisters chose a different path. And so I can say that it's not necessarily about your parents. It's not about your upbringing. It's about your own private ability to, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, get back to your own factory settings. Who am I? What makes me happy? Why am I here? What is my mission? How can I serve? That's it. Like, you can't blame anyone for that. 
So how did you reconcile or get to the place where you're going to start thinking these, um, you know, really deep connected things of choosing, choosing how you're going to think them, but where, where did that come from and how did you manage to move your way out of the actual trauma of your father passing? So it's a billion little things that happen, chance meetings, you know, that strange book you found, that conversation with that person, like I could go on and on and on, but I am a student of my life and I'm a student of trying to be the best version of myself. And it's taken me, you know, I can't say I'll ever really be a healed person from my father passing because I didn't have that experience, but I understand why. And I'm grateful for it. And I think that's the other side of it is that I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have all these Mm -hmm. experiences Mm -hmm. coming my way. And I also think that my, my life trauma didn't stop there. I mean, I was living in Connecticut. I don't know if I ever told you guys the story, but I was living in Connecticut in New York for 10 years. And that's when I was doing fashion and cosmetics and all sorts of amazing jobs. And I was with somebody when I was there, we were together for eight years and big life you know, big house, center hall, colonial, renovations, apartment in New York, traveling constantly. And when that relationship evaporated, he committed suicide. And it was a time in my life where like our house burned down and that whole life that we had, that person, that whole thing that I identified with was gone. Wow. And so I had, that's when I got to the depth of when all of your humanly things, mm-hmm. you know, physical, emotional, you know, human things, the person, the routines, the place, the stuff, when all that just goes away, that's when you can kind of drill down to the basics. Yeah. Right. And I was doing that at 28. Wow. Like, that was happening for me in real time at 28. I was like, okay, hold on. Why am I here? Why am I here? Like, what is all this? This is not a fun ride. This is not fun. And I had spent 28 years going, holy cow, this life is tough. This is hard. Mm. And this is painful. And so I choose, I choose my life because I don't want to have my being an expression of pain I want it to be an expression of love because mm-hmm. that's what I want to feel. So that's what I want to give. Mm-hmm. You've talked about your love language being color. Yeah. Our love language, Julie and I, is canceling plans. <laughs> we, so, yeah, it's true. This is how this, we, it is. It's an actual thing. We, we just, we say we're going to do something. We make a commitment. Well, no, we don't other, even make a commitment. Well, we, we know like, the other person's going to cancel. The other person might cancel. The other person doesn't want to leave their house. That's true. So the other person will might say, that sounds great. I might cancel the last minute. <laughs> but what I love about what you're saying is, well, first of all, I love that we've talked for maybe 20 minutes and we haven't even talked about design really at all yet. And I think we could probably speak an hour and not talk about it. It's and just, true. But I want to bring it to design. How does all that fit into z- to design? Your language of love is color. How do you take all of that, of stripping yourself down to the bare bones of of that sense of seeing beauty, of seeing love, of seeking it out? How do you take that and put that in design? I think that it's all, uh, it all comes down to, you have a physical home, 
but you also, I look at the, the body or the soul as the home, right? We all want a sense of home. What is home to you? What is home to you? And I'd lo- love to unpack that. And so I sort of by accident fell into home and decor and interior design because while I was in Connecticut, my then fiance, who's passed away, bought this center hall colonial, almost 5,000 square foot house and wanted to renovate it two years in. And I was thrown into the mix. He just was like, okay, work your magic. And I was like, what magic? I don't know anything about interior design. I don't know anything about this world. And I just started. I was like, okay, Mm, uh, let's do it. Let's go. Okay. We need to reupholster these chairs. Okay. Holy cow. These crown moldings are huge. How do you properly paint the crowns and how do you wallpaper and how do you this and how do you that? And it was not you know, I did have a secret love affair with Domino Magazine, mm-hmm. but I didn't ever talk it out with myself. Nobody just, knew. Nobody needed to nobody know. Nobody needed to know that that subscription every month showing up in my mailbox was like giving me life. I didn't even clock it. Wow. I was just getting it and loving it and working on my house and not thinking, oh, I could be good at this. And so when I moved here... Um, I did up my little humble apartment. A photographer friend came in. She and I were working on a project. She said, oh my God, your place is so cool. Can you do my place? And you did your place just based on all things you love. All things I love. And also, shit I found off the street. And like, my place is humble. It's not, you know, fam dangled. It's just about curation and placement and proportion in my eyes. Well, it's all you. Every piece that you have brought in there is your heart and soul. And... I've smudged it at this point and it's carrying my energy, right? Yeah. So uh, I went and did her place and then a person from Toronto Life magazine uh, said, hey, can I use your bathroom? They're at a rooftop thing. And I did her place sort of like dribs and drops all summer. She was out of town. I had a key. I ripped out her floor. I did so much shit in there. She came in and she was like, what the fuck? But the point is uh, the place got written up in Toronto Life. And I was listed as the designer. And so goes my career. So what happens is I find myself in meetings with people. How am I going to design the house for Angela? How am I going to design the house for Julie? How am I going to start these conversations? And I always start with, what do you love? Don't tell me about what you love in interior design. Don't show me pictures of other people's houses. Tell me what you love. Mm. Tell me where you've been that sings to your soul. Tell me what books you're reading. I take a look at what they're wearing. I love that. I I take a look at what car they're driving. I kind of take a look at, oh, she's Don't look at what car I'm driving. But you know what I mean? (laughs) Don't don't judge me. Actually, don't don't look at Angie's car, actually. (laughs) There's so many stories about that car. No, but I think that that's a part of it. We are a collection of our choices, is what I'm trying to say. Yes, I love that. And so because we're a collection of our choices, I don't look at decor and design as this formulaic thing that I learned in school. For mm-hmm. me, it's a living, eating, breathing thing that needs to be a reflection of the person, the couple, or the family on four walls. Because you you said, and I pulled this quote from somewhere, Julie and I were reading it. This is beautiful. You're also a poet, if you didn't realize you were a poet. I'm going to add that to the list. She is a poet, because before you go on, you're doing this beautiful thing on your Instagram with your old typewriter. And tell me what it's called. Magical memorandums. Magical memorandums. And it's poetry. It's beautiful. Thank you. Okay. You need a collection of going. poetry, and we're going to put this one in. I've always believed a space is teaching us things. 
teaching us what it wants to be. But equally, the things within it tell a story, and those stories start to multiply. Freaking love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's true, though. Talk to us about that. I started to find that when I would walk into homes, as I began my work in this arena, um, that the spaces were sort of like... Did you, did you guys watch the show The Queen's Gambit? Yes, loved it. Do you remember that part where she's laying on her bed and she's all hopped up on drugs and yes. she's playing chess on the on ceiling? ceiling? Yep. That's sort of how my brain works when I walk into a space, but not because I'm shuffling furniture, but it's almost like the house is revealing itself to me and I'm just quietly like watching it. Do and not thing. because you're on drugs. And not because I'm on drugs. <laughs> I'd like to go on the record here. Anyone that wants to work Let's with me. Let's clarify. I'm not on drugs. Um, but, but I, little funny things have happened. Like I'll pick out a wallpaper and some wall colors. And even in my own home, we pulled the baseboard off of this one section of the house. I had painted the walls a color recently within months pulled out an ancient paint chip that was almost the exact same color as what I just painted the walls. <gasps> oh my God, chills. Yeah, same. <laughs> so like things like that. I could tell you endless stories like that. And it's the house remembering, the house signaling to me subconsciously, this is where I want to be. This is how I want to be. The greatest teacher I had in this was when I fell into home staging for one year with Al Sinclair when I first moved mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Real Guys, estate. Agent. It was the great, he was on a magical carpet ride of Tiffany Pratt. Cause he was like, <laughs> I want to get on that me carpet. Too. Me too. He yeah. was like, he was so like my outfits, my hair, there's nothing about so me. I was going to say, I've, I know he's a pretty Con- conservative, conservative, yeah. conservative gentleman, B- business, like very much. Uh, and, and I am not. And, but I would go in and I would have very limited amount of time to do these spaces And when you walk into multiple different styles of homes, multiple different styles of furniture, multiple different um, degrees of disarray or organization or whatever it's going to be, and you make sense of it and make beauty from it Mm. in a very short period of time, that's the greatest teacher because you don't have years to lament. You have days. And And you could really just hit the ball really far out of the park. She just punched her hand, everybody. And like... And really, like, not only sell the house, but go, hey, this is what you could, this is what life could be. Mm. And that was really fun for me. It was like Mission Impossible. There's so many places we could take this now because you've said stuff about things being beautiful. And then you also did a baseball analogy, which, <laughs> which is such a really good segue. I think that's well, the place that we should that go. Where we're gonna go. Is that where we should go? Go to the Ginger Prince. Oh. Go to the Ginger Prince. Let's okay. So you had this place in the beaches mm-hmm. and um, then you needed to expand. Tell us why you needed to expand because who did you meet? Who Tiffany? did you meet? Tiff? You guys are so cute. He's so cute. I know. Can I say we that? Love him. Yeah. Can we say that about? That oh, okay? I love that you say it because I adorable. I think he is like the yes. handsome He's ginger. Yes. Can we ask? Boy. Is he a younger man? He is. We like that. By a good I mean, is that 13 years younger? Is that no way. Jesus. He just turned 30. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, we It's interesting because you've always gone out with older men. So this is part Tiffany, of this has been my quite healing. a lot older men. Oh, I've always dated a man 20 years my senior. I've never not since I was 19 years old. Wow. Not dated a man 20 years my senior. I feel like there's a lot of psychology let's dig to down. dig let's, into let's dig that. Down. It was all the daddy stuff. You, okay, so go, we, let's go. we're just saying it let's, out there. We're no, just no, saying it out loud. No, no, it's all the daddy stuff. Yes. And then additionally, it was that there's the double fold. The older man was always the more confident man to approach someone like me. Right. right. With the wild colored hair. Yes. And the interesting way of dressing. So there was more confidence in the older man. Right. But it just never ended up being the thing that took me across the finish line. It was multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. I always understood that it was going to be a, a very strange way of living because mm -hmm. they may or may not have had children of their own, families before me, their own big stories, potential baggage, but there was always an attraction. So when I met Zach and that whole thing happened... That whole that, thing, that whole falling in love thing. That whole falling in love thing with my person thing. That's yeah. actually been my my signal to myself that I've done some pretty significant healing. I was going to say, that's it feels amazing. like you let something very large go. Extremely large. And in every capacity um, to what you, anybody out there, I was 40 when I got married. I've Officially, I've been engaged a few times, never went across the finish line, never properly bought my own proper lady house, never had kids. I've never done anything by the rules. And I was perfectly fine staying alone and dating if I wanted to or not. Because before I met Zach, I was alone for three years and needed to be because I was so busy. Yeah. And so um, when I met Zach, he ran counter to everything I ever was believing about myself, who I was attracted to, what I loved, who I thought I was, the things I thought I needed in a relationship. He was counter to all of it. He was young. He was 26. He was a baby. Oh he was a baby. a baby. He was fresh in his career. He had no money. He had absolutely no game. There was no false pretense. There was yeah. no baggage. There was no anything. It was like this beautiful tabula rasa, clean slate, shiny human that was so, he is all pure spirit. He is all love. He is honestly, to me, that guy, he, he's like the second coming. Honestly. He I will say me. though too, and, and you've I mean, you guys are enamored with each other when you're together, like oh, constantly. It's pretty beautiful. This this beautiful, I mean, he absolutely adores you in a really uh, respectful sense, right? Not in this like younger puppy dog follow you around sense. Like he really adores you, but he has this, for this young, I would not have known that he was just 30, um, or in his 30s. How old is he? 30. He's just thir like I would not have known that. And he has this like quiet confidence about him. Totally. That is just really unassuming. Very grounded. And he very grounded. Also yeah. kind of just does that what you are, steps back and gives you your space to have your freedom and and honors that, which I think is a beautiful thing. You Julie just nailed the thing that I've never knew I needed mm. and never had. Mm. was somebody in my life that was, he is literally the foundation of my house, mm. my emotional house. Mm. He is the foundation and I never had a foundation. And so when he came into my life, it's like he went 
and he climbed underneath and he just kind of held me. And it was never about my career, what I was doing. It was always, how are you the person behind all of this? Mm -hmm. How are you feeling today? And it was those moments with him right out of the gate when I first started talking to him. It was a slow burn. It's not like it was a, this big fiery romance. It was not. And I was not sold on it being a romance at all. Because when we were on a first date and he clocked it as a date, I didn't. When he kind of said out loud, da-da-da, date, I started to burn up. I started ripping off my layers of clothes. I started like chugging back water because I was like, what? What a date? Like it it didn't, like I couldn't clock it because I was like, this isn't happening. I don't date younger men. I'm not on a date. Like I was like unraveling. The resistance. Oh my God. He will always, that night I was drinking every glass of water on the table. I couldn't stop drinking. So I looked at the waitress and I was like, I'm a fish. (laughs) And he says that to me all the time when I start getting nervous. He goes, you're a fish. (laughs) Okay, let's get you some water. Yeah, let's get you some water. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's that's Zach. He is, he's um, the most, he's been the most beautiful unfolding of my life so far. I can say if I was to look at my life in a highlight reel right now and I was to think about everything, he's like top of the highlight reel. What you were saying, you were saying he taught, I think you were about to say he taught you. And I was thinking, what did Zach teach Tiffany Pratt? Zach teaches me every day. Okay. What does he teach you? Oh my gosh. Zach teaches me uh, calm because I didn't have a lot of calm in my everyday life. There's always so much going on. And he's the king of, this is what's going to go down. This is how we're going to do it. And you're going to be great. Or like, I don't need him to tell me those things, but he loves to just constantly give me the reassurance that like, I'm here. And if it gets too much, I'm going to help you with the load and we're going to do this. Mm. And so he's always keeping me really, but without me asking for it, he just instinctively always wants me to feel like held. It's like you married a younger man, but you married a really old soul. Oh, he's like an old soul. He's like a Buddha. And I remember taking him somewhere on one of our first, like within the first few months of dating and someone said, you've got like a Buddha boyfriend. Mm. And I was kind of like, I think he kind of is. <sighs> like he, not an evil word comes out of his mouth and we'll be in traffic and I'll be like, let's go. And he's like, just calm down. It's okay. We're going to get there. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> yeah. He's truly, it's, it never stops with him seeing the other side of something. And we've never fought. We never have any, it's just, it's just a beautiful, symbiotic, love-filled, respect-filled ride where we're both coming at things very differently and we talk it out about our work and how we synthesize things and how we want to get things done. And we're very different people, but yeah. I'm what he needs and he's what I need. And it just kind of clicks. I love that. Okay. Well, let's just talk about your wedding for a second. because say, do we want to ask her about oh, the proposal? Oh my God. Oh, do we want to go to the pro- proposal first? You guys are so cute right no, now. Or do we want this, to talk about it? This feels like high school and <laughs> no, we're sitting on a bed and no, we're all jumping we, like, like Seriously, beforehand, we were like gossiping about it. We were like, oh my God, the proposal. And then we got to talk about the wedding. Talk about the proposal first. Okay. Should so. we talk about the cufflinks? What about the ring? What about the rainbow? What should we talk about? Oh my about? gosh. There's so many let's things. Let's start with the proposal. Because okay. I love a, I love a, Okay, first let's just shout out to Zach because we We love love him. him. And also the reason we segued because of the baseball analogy is because he's a baseballer. 
I don't think, we, do we call pitcher. them ballers? Yeah, like, do we call the baseballer think, ballers? I think we can do or is that. Like, I think we could call can, Zach ballers because he loves the rock baller. and he's on that show. And That's if we true. called him a baller, he'd be okay. like, hey, Zach yeah, is we a baller. Him a baller. But earlier. he's a pitcher and he he loves baseball. And so that's why that's why we did that little segue. But anyways, okay, so then he does this proposal. Okay, set the, set the scene for us. Tell us the story. Well, it's more his story than mine. So I'm only retelling Zach's story because, again, I never envisioned myself getting married, nor has it really been on my platter as a ne- I need this. Mm. Just because if I love you, I love you, and I'm not going anywhere, and I'm good. And so we never really talked about it. But always when he would do really cute things, I would take tinfoil and make him a ring and propose as like sort of my joke to him to say like, I really like what you're doing. Right. Like it was <laughs> like you're my, my knight in shining armor. It was, yeah. You're my ginger prince. Like I would come home from like a long day of shooting or something would be happening and he would have shit organized or a meal on the table and I would like quietly open up the drawer with the tin foil and I would like make a quick little <laughs> ring with my hands and he has a whole shoebox full of my little tin oh foil my rings. Oh gosh. So I think he knew I just loved him in that way but it was never like, I want to get married. We never really had that chat. We met in October, like our first date date where I was sweating my ass off was October 11th. And he bought the ring in August. I didn't know he bought the ring. And so he, um, he was going to propose in the summer, but I was shooting. And he intuitively thought, I'm not going to propose to her until she's done shooting because it would be too much. Trying to do everything I was doing plus be engaged or have that. So this is how Zach is. This is who he is. He's sitting on this ring for months until I finished shooting in December. Wow. My last shooting day was December 18th. Sorry, December 17th. I came home that night, and the 18th was my first day of like, okay, I'm done shooting until the end of the year. So he goes, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get dinner ready. Come over whenever you're ready. Famous last words to Tiffany Pratt. Don't say come over whenever you're ready. I'll put the leave-in conditioner in. I'll put the face mask on. Like, don't give me time because I'll take it. So I literally did that. I put in leave-in conditioner, slick my hair back, put on a face mask. I was like, is dinner casual? Can I just come over in my sweats? And I was like, I have a face mask on. He's like, yeah, just come over like that. Legit. With your face mask. Face mask, sweatpants, hair slicked in a like, you know, conditioner bun. And he was sweating when he opened the door and I heard our song playing and there was about 300 candles going. So the place was hot as hell because it had been burning for hours. (laughs) Waiting for you. He was waiting for me. So he's sweating. Okay. Do you know, do you know right away when you see the candles? When I saw the candles, my heart went like, oh, because I thought, oh, fuck. Like I literally thought, oh, fuck. Like that was my first thought because I was like, I'm not looking. I'm like, not ready. Yeah, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> and I remember he started his, I don't even remember what he said, honestly. I could just hear him going into his like reasons why he wanted to marry me. And I grabbed his elbows and I just like held him up. And I said, do not get down on one knee. Do not go down. Like I just want to tell you, I love you. You don't need to propose to me. I'm here. You don't have to do this. Like just arrive in this moment with me. Let's just look at each other. Like, we don't have to do anything. I'm with you. And like, mm-hmm. he was like, no, I want to be with you forever. And I was like, so wow. that's when I lost it. Cause I was like, <laughs> like, oh. then I puddled on the ground and he was able to finish what he wanted to do. And 
it's, it's been like that. Honestly, it's been like that every day since every day, one of us tells each other, I would marry you today. Like it's, it's a moment. It's a, it's a thing that I did. It's this, it's, it was bigger than us. It really was. I could cry about it. I feel like I could right now. This is the most amount of chills I think I've ever gotten in a podcast because it's just constantly. That was so much trust. That was so much that had nothing to do with Zachary. That was like another force. Cause I just walked into that with like pure, like I, I believe in this and I understand this and I will walk towards this fearless. You know what? I love it because stereotypically women wait for that or we're taught to wait for that moment. And here you are in the moment and you're saying, you know what? We don't need this. Like we don't have to, what we have goes beyond this. Like we don't need to do the ring and the ask and the knee and the whole thing. I love that. And then it's like a real choice on his part. Not that it wasn't before, but then it's like, it feels extra of like, I get it. I get, we don't need to, but here's what I want. So that Christmas, I had bought him a ring because I'd made him tinfoil rings all year round. So I thought it would be hilarious if at Christmas I actually gave him a ring. So I had a ring ready for him for his Christmas present. So when we, the next day, we went back to my apartment and he showed up and I just got down on one knee. Oh my God. I had it all inscribed and ready to go. And I was like, well, I was going to give you a ring at Christmas anyways, but like, it was, so he wears his engagement ring and his wedding ring. It, it's a very, it was very symbiotic. Yeah. Perfect. This is the loveliest story. Like this is really the loveliest story. And then you take it further and you have this incredible like wedding that is it's not even out of a storybook because it's not really what we've pictured or seen or anything, but it was all you. And there's this gorgeous picture of you and your wedding party, your friends, and it is a rainbow of uh, colors. Everybody's dressed solely in one color of the rainbow. So there's someone dressed completely in purple, someone dressed completely in yellow, Uh in orange, in green. It's spectacular on either side of you. It's spectacular. Yeah. Tell us about this rainbow. When my dad died, my mom was at his grave and, and it was raining and she was talking to him and said, you know, Wayne, you got to give me a sign that everything's going to be okay here. And then the rain stopped and in that moment, there was an end-to-end rainbow right over in front of her. So when I was a kid, she would always say whenever we saw rainbows, my dad was there uh-huh. and that everything was going to be okay. So it was just immediate people. So there's only eight guests. I'm sorry, was the Poppy Pratt not there? Oh, the Poppy, Poppy. Pratt was the ring wiener. Okay. <laughs> and here's the best part about the, the ring Poppy Pratt. Wiener. This was the moment where Zach and do I... We, do we tell people who Poppy Pratt is oh, Poppy or Pratt in case they don't know? Haven't my child, out. the um, chocolate-colored magical wiener dog, miniature wiener, who's <laughs> pleasantly plump and extremely spoiled, and she is my whole life. Yes. And she's not just Poppy. She's Poppy Pratt. Yes. Let's the be Poppy clear. Pratt. The yeah. Poppy Pratt. <laughs> the Poppy Pratt. Well, when I, when I met Poppy, when she was like four weeks old, I looked at her and I was like, your name's Poppy. Like, I just looked at her. I was like, you're Poppy. And, and then I was making Poppy an Instagram account as one does when they get a puppy. <laughs> I think, I think we all do with our dogs now. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I was making her an Instagram account and I thought, you know, the Poppy Pratt, cause I'm the Tiffany Pratt. So I thought she's the Poppy Pratt. She's oh, the Poppy so Pratt. Perfect. Yeah, I think so you need to make Joji an Instagram account. I, I do. The you Jojo. The Jojo. Jojo, like Jojo cat, like Dojo. Jojo the Jojo cat. cat. Yeah. Like the Jojo cat. Oh my God. That would be good. You have to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you I have, have Juniper has an Instagram account. 
We should do like and a then little group. All the, they can all follow the animals each other. can follow each other. Yeah. Oh, it needs to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, I feel like the day that when pa, when we got married, pa, there was like a little lip on the front of this little, it was a chapel from the 1800s. And that was the day that Poppy sort of asserted herself <laughs> in our life. She okay. wanted to be carried. Okay. And then when she got to the end of the aisle, she needed to be on the stage right between us and she, without a leash, and she sat there without, like, literally between the two of us. And she right. sat there looking wow. around like, we're getting married today. <laughs> <laughs> so we're holding up a book. Beautiful. I have one yeah. right here. I know. You have it. You guys. This can be beautiful. Tiffany's beautiful. I mean, it's gorgeous. The book is beautiful. I just look and at it's it sometimes. Just pull it this out. This can be beautiful. Just because I've, you know state of the world right now and about the book. And I was saying to myself, things aren't all beautiful. Do you feel like everything can, like every, this house can be beautiful and these things, this space can be beautiful and these people can come to a different place and this world can be in a different place? Or does that feeling of, you know what, I'm like up against it? I think feeling up against anything is why the world's in the place that it's in. Because, you know, you've heard the Thich Nhat Hanh phrase, no mud, no lotus. And so it's like, so terrible things are happening in the world constantly. And it's never stopped. It's, we're not in a place in life where we're just like every other human being that's ever walked this planet. There's always terrible things that are happening. And then there's also really beautiful things that are happening. And then sometimes getting through those really terrible things we can appreciate the really beautiful things. And then maybe we can take those really awful things and figure out how we can take that, those ashes, those remnants, this leftover, this something that no one would look at and make it beautiful because this is all we have. And that's where this can be beautiful comes from, which is the mindset of it could be in your junk drawer, it could be at a trash can, it could be somewhere where most people would think it's detritus, it's garbage, it's not important, it's ugly. And you could use your own two hands and a little bit of paint or glitter or glue or something, and you could revive it. And it's a physical representation of what we are able to do for ourselves in the face of adversity, in the face of pain, in the face of so much upheaval in every way. We all have an opportunity to let that upheaval take us down and mess up our days. And if you can just look everybody in your life in the eyes and share that loving kindness, consciousness, grace, then you're just putting that vibration out into the world and that you are putting that ripple forward. And then that can go into your work and the things you're doing and what you're touching and who you're hugging. It really all just comes back to that. So when we want to feel special is the special, the most thing we can do to our, for ourselves to feel special is to know thyself, to know who you are, to call into action the reason why you're here, to understand the service you are here to do. And then when you get that, you don't question your specialness because we're all here to do that thing. And it's so different for every single one of us. Every single one of us has our own special magical sauce. So we don't need to look for specialness from other people because we know that we are our own special thing and we're putting that out there. And so therefore we don't seek it because we are it. Mm. 
And that is beautiful. That is beautiful. I I like the frequency you're vibing at, Tiffany Pratt. Thank you. Thank you. For this conversation. Thank you for bringing you and all of you and everything about you into this room, to this microphone. This got a little deep today, but you know what? It's where we are. We're here for it. We're here for it. Love you. Love you both so much. If you've gotten this far, it must be because you loved the podcast. Well, we'd like to think you did. So if you can do one more thing for us. Rate us on Apple or Spotify. It's super easy. Five stars is our preference. I think they only allow five stars. Anyway, if you'd like, leave us a review. We appreciate you. So much. Every girl's got a story. Heartache and glory. So don't you worry, you're worthy Every girl's got a story Every girl's got a story We want to thank our generous sponsors, the brilliant minds at Fuse Create, and our friends over at the Richards Group Remax. Our original song, Every Girl's Got a Story, written and performed by the incomparable Kim Stockwood.